It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Go ahead and introduce yourself and uh, tell us about your uh, dog life journey. So, I, my name is Jason Kessler, Kessler Family Farms. Uh, here at the farm, we've only been here three years. Uh, I've been doing dogs. Like, my first job was in a kennel working with dogs when I was, like, 13, like a dog boarding type place. Uh, I worked in, a, uh, like, a pet store that sold mainly, like, the high-end dog foods and stuff like that and exotic pets. So, I learned a lot of, like, dog nutrition stuff, I guess, on, like, the kibble end there um then i started traveling i didn't really have too many dogs when i was growing up i didn't really have a dog uh i was always into them but i never had one myself then i uh i started traveling and i i got the german shepherd channel and i had him i was like 17 years old and i was like you know riding freight trains and hitchhiking and stuff with him and uh, I really liked him, you know, I didn't really know too much about dogs at that time. He was just like a dog at a pound. And, uh, but he could, you know, he caught a rabbit like a couple of times when we were in New Mexico. And like, it, it, that, that was like the extent of like his working. He was more of like uh, like a guard dog for me than anything. And when he passed away, I ended up uh, dogless again for like two years. And then I found this ad that was on Craigslist for... Uh, Brazilian pit bull and uh, and South American pit bull, and I was looking for a pit bull, and so I went to this guy's place in Chicago, and he it turns out what it was was a game dog bred to an Argentine dogo, and uh, he was so he was just kind of he didn't really even know what he had, and I I knew dogs pretty well, and I, I I was talking to him, and I said you know that's an Argentine dogo, and he said oh yeah that's what it is. <laughs> you know, so he really didn't really know, you know. <clears throat> and uh, anyways, I, I I had her for fourteen years, and that dog, man, she was like, you take her out into the woods, she would hunt coon, she would hunt, you know, pretty much anything. And I I didn't know too much or anything like that. I was just traveling and using her on hogs and all kinds of stuff. And so when I moved out to uh, to the farm, and she passed away. Like, I knew that I wanted to get in more hunting dogs. But uh, I guess my main focus here when we got to the farm first, though, was that I needed to get Tibetan Mastiffs. And uh, that was, like, my choice of livestock guardian dog. And uh, I'd done some research and seen that, like, the Great Pyrenees and, like, the Anatolian Shepherd, they'd been, like, really watered down. And uh, from, like, what the original breed, like, really is, you know, and, like, its original function. And uh, I started noticing it was, like, had lost, like, all man aggression. And, like, you know, people are talking about having people jog through their flocks and sheep and stuff like that. And I was just like, this is insane. Like, I don't need a person walking up on my farm. And I started looking at, like, why we watered these dogs down. And it's because, like... It's a big point I try to make with, like, people that want to train a dog to be a livestock guard dog is that, like, in the U.S., we're the only ones that use dogs as livestock guardians the way that we do, where they're just left in a field with the animals, 
and they're not actually have any human contact. So they have to bond to the livestock and they barely bond to people. And so they don't really care if people come by. They don't really see people as a threat and they only really are just made to like bark to keep predators away. And, uh, I, that wasn't something I was interested in. I, I was, I wanted something that was gonna, you know, be more like with the family and stuff like that. So I started looking and saw that I had, you know, uh, the Tibetan Mastiffs. And I noticed they were kind of watered down too. And that like the Chinese, they got really popular there and the Chinese had kind of ruined them, like crossbreeding them with all these other dogs. And that's like a whole nother story. But, uh, so I kind of like had given up on them and I was looking at the Central Asian Shepherd and uh, I was looking around and all of a sudden one day I was looking for some farm stuff and I saw on the farm ads this picture of a Tibetan Mastiff and I was like, holy shit. I was like, that's a real Tibetan Mastiff. And I was like, where the hell is that at? And it was, it turns out it was in Central Illinois. And so like, this was actually when we were still in Chicago. We were living in Chicago, me and my wife. And uh, we were just like, just bought this place. And so I, we, I said, let's drive down there and check it out. And we get there and like, dude, this guy was like wasted. And like, all these dogs are behind the fence. There's like, no joke. Like, at that time, there was about, I don't know, 50 of them or maybe about 50 of them. And they were all just like barking like crazy. And I was just like, holy shit. And the guy goes, just come through the gate. Yeah. And I was like, okay. And these dogs are all in one pack. And I was like, okay. So I just like walked through the gate and he goes, holy shit. I've been doing this like 33 years. You're the first person to ever do that. And I was like, oh, well, I thought you were serious. He's like, get up here on the stairs like right now, man. Yeah. And so me and him kind of got along like right off the bat. But, uh, you know, he was kind of like a scumbag, and, like, I kind of liked that, and, like, you know, and I had found out that, like, people didn't really like him and stuff, so, like, I, I, like, through, like, the show world and stuff, so I was like, this is perfect, you know what I mean? Like, it's totally what I'm looking for, like, not showbread stuff and whatnot, and so he convinced me to get this older dog, and uh, so I got her. And uh, we brought her up here to the farm. Like I, I put a deposit on her, and then like the next week we moved here, and I went and brought her back here. Well, I like found out real quickly that like they just don't do very well switching homes when they're like an older dog. And so like before I got like a sour taste in my mouth or anything like that, I like called them back, and I was like, "Look, dude, this dog ain't gonna work. She's like running off, blah blah blah. Like I'm gonna need to start out with a pup." And so, like, the guy, he says, come on over, you know, switch it out or whatever. And so I switched it out for this pup, and that was Willow. And uh, Willow's, like, she's the, my all-black one, and she is the best dog here. And at the time, I chose her based on her mom. And so I really liked the way her mom was. But the thing is, I was taking a huge gamble. I knew they were good dogs. I knew they were like pure dogs. I knew they were the dokey type that I was looking for. But he didn't have any livestock there. They weren't being used for livestock guardian dogs, like none of that. So I was like kind of taking a gamble. And, uh, but I kind of just like put my faith in like genetics of a dog and was like, I could turn this dog out. Like we'll see what happens. And so like I took some of the steps that they were using. And, uh, come on, bud. I was using some of the steps they were using in some of these, like, how-to livestock guardian dog stuff and started realizing, like, 
once again, it goes back to like how we're the only place in the, the world that uses dogs just locking them out in the field. And I was more living with my dogs. So then it like kind of like clicked in my head. Well, why don't I look at how, where these breeds originated from how they raised, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so I go through and I think like, all right, these guys are living with their flock 24 seven. They're with their dogs 24 seven. You know, like their dogs are being taught by their, their mothers and fathers and aunts and uncles and things like that. And also by the shepherd. So like, I was like, this is like probably really going to help the way I train my dogs. And so I set the, the livestock up in a pen in front of like the kitchen, pretty much like right across the driveway in front of the kitchen window. So I could see like everything that was going on. I could see why they were barking. I could see if they were chasing livestock. It was just like I was in a tent right next to my, you know, livestock. And I started seeing that it worked really well with her. And so I was like, I need another one because none of these guys run one dog. And so I went back to that guy and this was all within like, you know, four or five months. And so like, I went back to that guy. I was like, dude, I need another dog. I really like her mom. And he was like, all right, well, I got one and it's, it's related to her. The, his parents are related to her mother. And uh, he just looked awesome. He had real long legs. He looked like real agile. And like that was my dog, Falcor. And so I picked him up. I brought him back here. And I just kept on living with like as much as I could, living with the dogs, living with the dogs, watching what they're barking at, going out there and checking on what they're barking at. If it was a nice enough night, I was even sleeping out there, having fires. It, worked, it was working like really, really well. So I did that for like a year. Then I got to the point where I could like really just kind of trust them more and more without having to like be locked separate from the livestock. Mm-hmm. And uh, so then like the next summer they were like really on, you know, out there with the livestock on their own, like didn't really need too much supervision. I wasn't having like really any of the problems that I hear of on like a lot of Facebook groups and like, you know, just people talking in general about, you know, running away and, all this other stuff. So I started thinking like, these are really good livestock guardian dogs and more people should know about them. And like, now that I've kind of tested it, you know, I'm going to see who else out there really has them. And there was like no one that was really using them for livestock guardian dogs. I ended up finding maybe, you know, through, through like looking for people for like six months, I was able to find like two people that were doing it. And one guy only had one dog and this other lady had a whole bunch of them. And so I started thinking about, like, you know, I I probably should start breeding these dogs and kind of, like, representing them as a livestock guardian dog instead of, like, this showbread crap out of China. And uh, so I hooked up with the one lady that I was able to find that had more, and she had a female she was willing to send down here and, uh, you know, give me breeding rights to it and stuff like that. And so that dog, actually, that the next winter ended up going into heat first before the, the one that i already had had planned with willow and falcor and uh so i bred her to falcor and found out that like the way that i was raising them was like almost like changing their genetics to like be even better and uh they were catching on really fast to the livestock guardian stuff they were just like really naturally doing it and uh it was working out really well so 
I ended up with a litter of 10. Sent them all to working homes, but since it's like early in the project, I wanted to, you know, be able to keep like really close tabs on them, but also make sure they were going to places that were like going to kind of test their limits. So like some went down to Texas, some went like to the East Coast. I wanted to make sure they were going to be like good in hot weather. I want, you know, all these different things. And so far, it's been working really well. As far as like the heat goes, they can totally tolerate the heat. Uh, you know, as far as livestock guardian dogs go, like they're doing great. The one I have here, he's falling in the line. I've never seen him like once chase anything. He's already been out there barking at coyotes. And there's one time where they made contact. It didn't scare him to like come back inside or anything like that. He got bit up pretty good. So that was another reason why I wanted to choose the Tibetan Massive was that like they don't mess around when it comes to the you know, if something gets in here, they're gonna they're gonna kill it. They're not gonna go really out of their way to uh, like chase it once it's off the property. If it makes it off the property, it's it's normally it's not, they're not gonna mess with it anymore. But if it's here, it's and they, they get it, it's not coming back. Like they're gonna kill it instead of like a Great Pyrenees where they're just gonna bark and bark and bark and bark, and the thing's just gonna keep coming back every night. Right. My dogs are generally pretty quiet, you know, and especially. There's been studies that have been done talking about killing off all the coyotes around you, and all that does is bring in more coyotes to try to take the areas around you. So if you can get them to like work in like, I guess like symbiosis or was the right word. I'm not sure if that's the right word, but if they can like learn how to live with your livestock guardian dogs, they're not going to take the risk to come into your yard to eat something of yours. But they're also going to defend the area around your property from more coyotes moving in. And so since we've actually gotten the livestock guardian dogs, there was a lot in the beginning where they were like getting into it with coyotes, killing coyotes, barking coyotes. Then now it's really just, it's quieted down quite a bit. And they, they run around the outside of the property and everything like that. I see this, the footprints in the mud or in the snow and they do come around, especially because of the way we feed. But, uh, they really, I mean, they do come around, but they don't come into the fence unless it's like, early spring when they're trying to feed their pups or like some dumb rogue male tries to like you know either come up to the fence or come in but we have a pack and they generally keep it pretty safe around the outside and they're smart enough to stay away from you know our dogs so that's actually worked pretty well not that i don't love killing coyotes especially with dogs but uh it is nice to like not have to worry about the livestock being eaten and stuff like that because I know that my pack's smart enough to keep away from my dogs, and I know that they're tough enough to keep another pack away, you know. So, but we do, we feed, especially in the winter, like, uh, large prey animals. So, like, I'll have, like, a whole cow out there, or I'll have, like, a whole deer, two whole deer, uh, and they just eat off of that especially if it's frozen because it stays like frozen for at least three or four months here so put the uh like i get cows from the dairy i get roadkill deer uh culls from different different farms around and stuff like that and that really does bring in the coyotes but i also feel that that keeps my dogs like more wild and primitive and just kind of creates more of like the the pack mentality and more of like the original way they're supposed to be, you know, fed. Mm -hmm. Like when they're in Tibet, like these guys, 
they don't even eat meat. So the only time that like Tibetan mastiffs are really getting meat is whether they were to hunt something down themselves or if something dies and that it's fed to them. So they're not really, you know, the, the dogs that are out there that are still getting to these massive sizes up in like the, uh, the high elevations, they're, they're getting that big on like next to nothing. You know what I mean? Like they're really not getting a lot. They're not getting fed nearly as good as like a dog here in the U S. Mm-hmm. So I like, sometimes I like to think that if I keep going in the direction I'm going where I'm keeping dogs that are as pure as possible and I'm keeping them as close to their original form and everything like that as possible, uh, that I might, you know, but that one day maybe they'll surpass what, you know, they are in Tibet, which is like, you know, to me way better than what I've seen in any, any dog in the, the U.S. or anywhere is like doesn't even come close to the dogs that like you know Marco Polo wrote of and things like that, and that's kind of where I'm trying to take my my program is to like bring it back, and I think through like feeding them properly and things like that, I could eat you know and bre- breeding the right dogs together, obviously, but like I think a lot of it has to do with the way you keep them, uh, and the way you let them you know let them be and. I guess like keep them primitive they're like one of the most primitive if not the most primitive dog in the world so how do they interact with uh, your other dogs are they d- dog aggressive at all or if a new dog comes here even if i bring it here it's pretty rough uh it takes a little while there has to be like a process so um you know i'll keep them on the other side of the fence for a little while and see it like you know it takes like a week or so to get a new dog to be good with them. But then after that, like they're cool, but I don't trust them enough to be, especially like back behind the fence where the livestock is. Right. I can, I, I gotta be really careful. Um, just because like if they start chasing livestock it either incites my Tibetan massives to chase livestock, which they shouldn't be doing, or it makes them angry at the other dog for chasing livestock. So they're just a big, powerful dog. And like they, you know, they take the right management. So uh, I just got to be careful and around other dogs. My Patterdale Terrier, she can run back and forth with the dogs, and like they don't see her as a threat, and she doesn't see them as a threat, and they just, you know, they get along fine. Mm-hmm. You know, if a dog were to jump the fence, it would be the same as a coyote jumping the fence. Like they're gonna kill it. Mm-hmm. But uh, out in public, they. They, they, my dogs don't really get along with other dogs, but like my dog's puppies definitely get along with other dogs. And like my, you know, friends that I know that have Tibetan Mastiffs, like they, the couple of them that raise them is like pets. They get along just fine with other dogs. But as far as like dog aggression goes, they're not like they don't have fighting lines because they're, you know, traditionally bred by Buddhists who don't like do that. You know, mm-hmm. so it's not like that was another reason why I picked the Tibetan Massive was because they don't have the fighting background. So they were bred strictly for like one purpose and one purpose only. And that's to like guard the family in this, you know, his herd. Mm-hmm. So dog aggression. Yeah, it's a danger because they're such a big dog and they do have that just natural aggression. But as far as like, you know. They're nothing like a game dog or, you know, even a terrier or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like they're 
a lot more easygoing. Once they realize what it is and realize it's not a threat, it's pretty good, you know. But up until that point, they make very quick decisions, and most of the decision is nope. <laughs> like, just you cross that line, and you're going to get dealt with. Like, they don't like any people besides me, my wife, and my son. But that all has to do with, like, socialization, you know. Like, I never have socialized my dogs purposely. Mm-hmm. You know, I know plenty of people that have socialized them and they get along fine with people. But I can't bring someone over here and keep and keep on bringing them over and have a process with like my male dog. He just with Falcor, the big the big boy. He there's you can't you know what I mean. I just can't like I I try to have friends you know that like I can trust enough that they're gonna like you know act properly. And even like that, he's still just no, not gonna happen. Mm-hmm. But with a dog. I could bring a dog in and eventually he'll like it. But a person, he will eventually like them. Hmm. So, but that all has to come up with the socialization. Right. But, yeah, with dogs, they're good. And that, you know, because they just, they don't have fighting lines. And that's one of the main reasons why I do like, you know, is, is the, that they can get along with other dogs. Because, like I said, I keep other dogs here, too. So we don't really go around other dogs or anything like that with them. But I do like to have, you know, dogs here at the property. Do you have a, uh, a, a like a an overview of, of the history behind the Tibetan Mastiff and and what they were originally bred for and and they, where they originated and all that? They originated from a uh, an ancient like Stone Age dog that's been extinct or gone extinct, and I don't remember the Latin name, but it's the dog of the peat bogs, and uh, I mean. They go back to like the beginning of time, pretty much. When if you look at like old like Buddhist writings, they and like even Hindu, um, they show like gods riding around on Tibetan mastiffs and paintings and different things like that. Um, coming to the U.S., I know that someone in Roosevelt's cabinet had two sent from like Kathmandu over here. And they were like a real nice, like doki type. Um, a lot of the doki type is like so. There's like two two types, and there's like a lot of argument about it and stuff. But like, there's two types. There's like doki, which is the more nomadic, athletic type, like what I tend to keep. And then there's sanki, which is the more sedentary monastery guardian, the bigger, more like mastiff type. Generally, the doki comes from like a lower elevation and the saying key comes from a higher elevation the doki you'll find like more information about that isn't like folklore you get what i'm saying when i say that like, you'll get more like factual information about them i think than you do about the saying key the saying key or more you hear like that they've all gone extinct or you hear that you know, those are the ones Marco Polo wrote about that were like as big as a donkey and that were like four feet long from from nose to tail, which that I can believe because like my male Falcor, he's got to be four feet. I've never, I I've never, haven't measured it, but I mean, he's like 31 inches at the shoulder and he's a very, very long dog, but he just doesn't have like the mass that like Marco Polo wrote about or like that you hear about in some of these like old monastery things. But a lot of those dogs also died off during, like, the, the Chinese invasion. And uh, they invaded a lot of these monasteries and killed the dogs. 
and things like that. And that's kind of where the breed started to like spread out into other countries more and started to be like, be like outcrossed to different dogs. That's why you have like so many different subtypes of the Tibetan Mastiff. So like the true saying key is like the original Tibetan Mastiff that like people don't even really, it started from the stone age dog and they don't really even know like when in time people started using it, but it was regarding like, property pretty much monasteries large areas things like that Mm -hmm. then when people fled it became it got bred more with like local shepherd type dogs and you know that that's when they started like i said becoming more like historically recorded and things like that like accurately i would say um is after like people fled and started they, they became more popular around um the Romans wrote about the Tibetan Mastiff actually talking about that um, Tibet had the best dogs for the warrior dogs. And uh, so, like, I'd like to think that, you know, a lot of those allants and things like that that people talk about a lot, like these old world molasses and things like that, like, if they were writing about Tibet having, like, the best dogs, I mean, you bet your ass they're all going to be bred into those warrior dogs that they all started. Mm-hmm. Um so historically they were they were bred you know originally for like high up monastery guardians mountain dogs um then they started coming down more and becoming like nomadic shepherd guardians where they would spend like most of the day like a band dog kind of most of the day chained up or in a tent uh in the house and then at night free to roam and that's still how they're kept in in some places in tibet and they're also still kept in monasteries as well but uh, the more nomadic type is like more, you know, more of like a band dog. Um, it's like a livestock guardian dog. People also, there's like a lot of accounts of them using them as hunting dogs and crossing them to make hunting dogs. But I mean, on their own, they've been used as uh, to hunt as well. But that's like a lot more recent, you know, when the uh, people up there started doing more things that were outside of Buddhist culture, you know, like, like hunting and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, then, uh, somewhere along the lines there, the Chinese people got really involved in them and turned them into like the new sports car. And like everybody, every like rich businessman had to have one and they had to have a bigger one and a wrinklier one and a more red one. And, you know a fluffier one and so kind of got ruined and just just almost like you know every other breed you ever hear about being ruined got ruined to like pretty much extinction and so that's where you know i want to step in i think a lot of like i say this about a lot of breeds is that like the livestock guardian dog community especially like the retiree livestock guardian dog community could like they really can and i think will keep like ancient breeds like that alive uh because a lot of these people that i've like been able to talk to about having tibetan mastiffs or using tibetan mastiffs and stuff like that they've all been like they don't really care about their instagram page or their facebook or anything like that they're like yeah i have these dogs i've had them like since the 80s and blah 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 you know like they're just cool dogs they uh a lot of 
you you find out that a lot of like real like i guess like eccentric people and hippies and uh stuff like that are involved with them because a lot of the ways that a lot of these dogs got into the country in like the 70s is actually through the drug trade um they were used like they would be kept in big crates that had false bottoms and no one's going to go into a crate with a Tibetan massive locked in it. Yeah. And uh, they would put like hash under there coming out of like, like the Hindu, like Kush mountains and like all these other areas, like high elevation areas where they were like sourcing seeds and hash and things like that and sending them back. Uh, Jerry Beisler is like a, well-known weed cultivator who actually used to bring over like tons of tibetan mastiffs and uh central asian shepherds and caucasian shepherds and all iranian mastiffs all different kinds of like subtypes of the central asian shepherd and the tibetan mastiff pretty much and he was well known for using them to uh bring back drugs to the u.s so there there's there's a lot of reference when you look into like there's like a bit. There's like very, very little, go, like going on, and then like as as far as like importing dogs, and then all of a sudden like a lot in like the 70s and like around the, like the 80s too, like the early 80s, and like people were calling them like the drug smuggling dogs, you know, coming back with the drug smuggling dogs, and then it all got kind of. I guess dead for like in history, as far as I've been able to read up on and stuff. Uh, until it, it got picked up by the Chinese and turn, you know, then they like started crossbreeding it and stuff like that and kind of ruined it. But I'm hoping really, really, really hoping that I can do something to bring them back. I got a few people like that want to work with me on doing it. One of my buddies has some dogs up in Washington that are like all looking really promising as far as like, he's got like three bitches up there. And I'm gonna. I sent him a uh, a mail that I'm gonna see how he does, so he can use him. So I mean, there are people I, that are getting more into it, and I think that they, for what people are mainly looking for in a livestock guardian dog, unless they're looking for that dog that's gonna sit out in the the field with them, I think like historically, the Tibetan Mastiff is what people are looking for is like they've been bred to do the job that most people want a dog that can watch for about watch like five acres over be be good with the family have a little bit of man aggression because a lot of farms get broken into or you know things like that and uh that's going to be good in the house and out in the field and that's really historically what this dog has been bred to do um they they come in the house when they come in the house they lay down on the ground they're just like, you know, they have been doing for thousands of years because there's not much room to move around in a tent in the middle of Tibet, especially when it's full of the whole family and it's freezing cold outside. And uh, then at night, they're like left to run around and guard everything. They do great at it. So I think that's really what people were people are looking for. And historically, that's what the dog's been bred for for thousands of years, you know, right. thousands and thousands of years, you know, since, like I said, since like since time people have been writing about them and painting them and finding them in caves and things like that, like next to people and things like that. So, uh, yeah, that, I'm not like a, a big historian on like the whole breed, but I, you know, I, I am a, more of a, like their uses for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, have been the same for, you know, thousands and thousands of years untouched. 
So it makes so much sense to like, why not use that dog? If that's the, you know, if you're going to raise it historically, the way that it's been raised, you're already doing it. You know, you already have a farm and you want the dog to be in with you when you're inside and then out when you're asleep or when you're not home. Mm-hmm. So historically they've been used that way for thousands of years. Why not keep doing it? Can you talk about like the, um, it was a two part question. Uh, what are the the official standards like with the AKC, and then what are the standards that you're looking for within your program, like the height and the weight and all that? What I don't know what the AKC standards are. To be dead honest with you, mm-hmm. um, I don't know what I, I don't know. I'm sure it's something ridiculous. Right. Um, for a female, I'm looking for like 26 inches up to. I don't know, maybe like my ideal, like right now I've got one, she's 28.5. And I think like, she's a great height. She's a hundred pounds. She could maybe use at the most like 10 pounds. If she was like 110, uh, I would like that. So I guess my, my standard is like uh, the last bitch I used, she was 26 and she was about as short as I would go, but I used her because she had really tall brothers in my males, I don't want anything under 28 at the very lowest. Mm-hmm. Um, I like really, really long legs on them. Uh, I, the longer they are, the better, just to get back to like that infamous description from Marco Polo. Um, so I, like they're, they're, they're standard in the AKC, I'm sure, states that they need to be longer than they are tall. Uh, and that's like, I think that should be drastic. I think they should be drastically longer than tall. Mm-hmm. Um, and now most of these like saying keys, they're going to be heavier and more sedentary. The doe key, I think a dog that's about 31 inches should be about 115, 120 pounds max. Uh, I do, I think that they could perform over that. Yeah, I think they could. I think that 130, so a male between, 110 and 130 in between 28 inches and 32 inches. And uh, I think a female between like 85 to 110 and uh, between like 26 and uh, 29 inches, maybe 30 inches. 30 inches would be a really tall female though. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I mean, they, they pretty much come in like every color historically excuse me historically they've come in every color uh, blues even uh, all whites you know that's not to say that people have liked those colors and they've crossbred other dogs in to get that especially with like the Chinese but you got to think too it's like very hard record keeping for these dogs so it's like the people that get into them that were doing the AKC they made standards for what they want there's also a lot of like kennels that in china that let you breed other dogs to them you know once and then breed it or breed it back once after you get across and things like that so their standards are all over the place but i any color i prefer <coughs> the <coughs> excuse me the black and golds um they're more from like the mustang region coming out of like nepal which is the dogs that can withstand a lot more heat and stuff like that. And they're going to be like your longer, not as heavy set 
Um, as far as bones go, I mean, a good thick, thick bone. Like a, a it's about massive. Like leg, its front legs should be about as thick as a man's leg. I mean, they're you know, like not not the uh, your entire mass or whatever, but they should you know be thick, thick, thick boned, uh, but still light on their feet. Real, real springy. Um, I don't know, man. I'm not really good on on standards. I, I know what I like. Right. I I just know that these standards in the AKC and the standard like UKC and MKC, I'm, I haven't even really read them. I go more on the functionality of it. Um, so, really, my two biggest points are lower weights than what most people consider a Tibetan Mastiff to be. And uh, just re- the length, the length and the, the the height is really what I'm looking for. I like like a decent tuck on them. Really, really deep chest. They all should naturally just have a deep chest coming from high elevations. Uh, they should just naturally have that good breathing ability as well. Definitely a long. The longer the muzzle, I think the better. A lot of these dogs are breeding now. Just their their muzzles are way, way, way too short. I haven't seen really too many smashed in or anything like that. But a nice long, like workable muzzle. They have a great sense of smell. Um, the bite, I wouldn't necessarily, you know, care too much of like the long muzzle for the bite, like German Shepherd guys do or something like that. Just based on they're powerful powerful bite i mean they got huge teeth Mm -hmm. and an extremely powerful bite so but more for breathing ability uh and scent too they're they're really good at at smelling something they i've seen them wind you know like winding coyotes that are coming by or things like that like they definitely use their nose a lot more than you would think a uh like just a massive would so I, I like a long muzzle. Uh, the bigger the ears, I think the better. Uh, just to add like that extra warmth. And uh, they also talk about that in the Marco Polo uh, description. That just like that's something that like caught his eyes, giant ears. Um, I've seen a lot of them now have like really giant paws. I don't really think that that's like a necessity. But I do like bigger front feet than back feet. Uh, I've noticed that, like that, like the bigger in the chest, smaller in the back, is uh, something that's working well for like their ability to like keep moving all night. Uh, so long, thick boned, thicker in the front than the back, uh, deep chest. It's pretty much, I, I just go by the functions, really. Yeah. Uh, that's, you know, historically the doki also, like, they're just kind of all over the place. You'll see some that are 70 pounds. Uh, I think those dogs are a little too small. They're probably faster than all hell, but they're just a little too small, especially a lot of the people that are getting into the or got into the great pyrenees and anatolians and then i end up hearing from them they're like i'm looking at like the boz kangal the tibetan mastiff uh the central asian shepherd they're looking at dogs because they're having wolf problems and the 70 pound dog isn't gonna 
do very much up against a wolf. You know, a hundred pound female along with her hundred pound buddy and, you know, a male that's weighing like 120, then you got something for coyotes to like probably think twice about, you know. Uh, But wolves, you know, you're going to obviously, you're going to want something that's going to be able to take, go up against them. I, I, I would say that the standard in the doe key is, like I was saying, spread out quite a bit, but I think it's also spread out quite a bit just because they're from so many different regions that different regions have different things to deal with. Some guys are dealing with tigers and snow leopards and stuff like that. Other people are just dealing with, like, jackals, you know, kind of like how here I'm only dealing with coyotes, but... I send them off to places where they're dealing with bears, wolves, mountain lions, things like that. Um, so I guess, yeah, that's, that's really the standard in the, the true standard in the doe key is very, very loose mm-hmm. as far as like height and weight goes. Um, color normally is by region. Now that's kind of been, now they've come to America and stuff, that's kind of like been thrown out the window. But imported dogs, you can normally tell like where they're from kind of based on their color. The darker, uh, more like, I guess, phantom markings, you know, the Rottweiler markings. Mm-hmm. Those are more like your high elevation dogs, the darker dogs. Uh, they're, they're more from like up in the monasteries. Your gold dogs, things like that, they're from more of like your plateau um, grasslands, regions, and stuff like that, they call them. Um, and they're going to be your more like athletic dogs. So I'll probably start producing more and more gold dogs just based on the fact that I like the dogs from that specific region. Mm-hmm. They're also kind of popular, but they're, the red is more popular in like the, the show world and everything. Right. Um, I've heard FCI has like said that they're going to switch up and they're going to do two different breeds. Now they're going to give the Tibetan massive name to the like Chinese recreation. And they're going to give Doki to the true type Tibetan massives, which would have both Sankey and Doki in the same group, okay. but they would just be labeled Doki. Uh, which just translates to like dog that can be chained or chained dog uh, because they're traditionally kept on chains during the day. Mm-hmm. And also there's a lot of like nomadic type, um, you know, they go to town, they take a Tibetan massive with them and they keep it on a chain tied to their belt. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's actually like a, a lot of like things that I've read talking about that like, it's like a, a federal law type deal like you're you're allowed to bring your tibetan massive into town as long as it's chained up and everywhere has to pretty much allow them um, a lot of people think that they're like reincarnation of a monk and things like that so they're really really highly respected there they're brought you know all over the place a lot of people talk about how tibetan massives are off property like my dog is great off property and like they're talking about the dog being more true to type i would think um by being able to be like real docile and everything off property but as soon as he gets within the wire it's on 
you know and that that's kind of how my dogs are like when they're out they're they're a little more like insecure uh they're not gonna like lash out and bite somebody insecure but they're definitely not gonna like let someone pet them either uh but when they're on the property they have way more confidence and it's just like a whole different ball game and I, that's another you know thousands of years of breeding on the same way makes makes a dog like that mm-hmm. can you talk about the the whelping process how are they as as moms and is the breeding process pretty easy uh they they're real secretive about their breeding uh so it's and they only breed they only go into heat once a year and that's in the winter and they only so the male is also only fertile at that time too um that goes back to like the way that they've been bred for thousands of years is if they have pups in the the middle of summer by the time winter hits they're not going to be able to be big enough to withstand the winter Mm -hmm. um so there's a breeding season and any tibetan massive breeder even if it's a show tibetan massive breeder will tell you it's nuts dude it is nuts like Mm -hmm. (laughs) they're already i keep them pretty damn wild but they turn into like totally different animals man it's like it's breeding season like they're serious about it Mm -hmm. they stay in heat some of them a lot longer than most dogs do they stay in heat for like 30 days longer than that uh they go into if you keep them like in packs like last year i i had those two females one of my females went into heat the other one went into a false heat just to take the male away from her they fought like all hell i had to keep them separated um but they after all was said and done they were uh really really good moms i mean really good moms they're once again goes back to being such an ancient breed is they know that it's like i gotta teach this dog what's up you know before next winter because then it's pretty much on its own you know and uh they make great moms as far as you know i didn't have any crushed puppies um i didn't have like any problems with them like nursing or anything like that or the my 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 one dog willow she was a little bit aggressive with me going near the puppies uh ursula she would let me near the puppies and my wife and my son but like my mother-in-law tried to go near them and like she lost her mind right away so like they're really really protective uh they're they don't really need much help with anything you know what i mean they're just they're kind of on top of it. They they stay they stay with their litter like a lot more than I've seen a lot of other breeds. Or like they're they're a lot less likely to like go out for a walk or like really do anything else besides like hang out with their pups. They're very very wolf like when it comes to that. They just kind of hang out with their pups until the pups are ready to go out. And as soon as the pups are like regulating their body temperature, it's time to go out. You know, and they follow them around everywhere. They're pretty hard on their pups. Uh, they'll leave them like if one of them's like falling behind like they're not going to turn around and slow down or anything to check on it like it's let's keep going you know um but the I, I raise them with their dad too their dad is pretty rough on them uh but teaches them like you know he, he bites them like very softly at first and then you can tell it gets a little more and more as they get older 
I keep my pups here for like at least 12 weeks. Okay. Um, so they can learn from the parents. That's like the best way for them to learn. They're also a very slow maturing dog. So at eight weeks, like I, I, I don't think they're ready at that point. They're really, they're still like just starting to get out and get their, you know, get on their little routines and stuff like that. They're, but as far as needing help or anything like that with the whelping, like they're really, really good moms. Uh, needing help with the breeding, that's another story. They, they're just, they're big dogs. They're furry dogs. They're secretive. If you want to make sure you get it right, like I did AI last year. Right. Um, I might have had a tie, but they're most active at night. And at night in the winter, it's freaking freezing. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. They're out there, they're in their pack, they're doing their thing, but just to kind of like seal the deal, hedge my bets, I did an AI. Mm -hmm. um, and I I know other people that get natural breedings just fine. Um, they also have a lot of dogs where they don't, they're not kept together all the time. Uh, so that when they get the dogs together, that's all the male wants to do. He just wants to hurry up and hump her because he, you know, he hasn't been sitting there for two weeks waiting for it to finally get ready, you know? Mm -hmm. So this winter, you know, I, I think I'm going to try to see a little bit now that they're a little bit older. They're both like a lot more mature. They've had pups and they kind of like come into their own now. Uh, I think maybe they might be a little more aggressive about the breeding. But who knows, mm -hmm. you know, but as far as being good moms, they're great moms and they're great at teaching their kids. I still have a singleton pup here, which she's not going anywhere. She's definitely staying here. She's amazing. But, uh, you know, she has fallen right in the line. She was outside at two and a half weeks old and was walking around with her mom and following her around. And her mom's kind of one of those moms where, like, you know, you fall, she's not going to, like kiss your boo-boo type deal it's like let's keep going like hurry up we, you know but they they teach their kids man they really really do like they're they might be a little strict on them but it pays off in the end you know it really it really molds them they really do a lot for their pups it's not like once they're wean they're just biting at their heads to keep them away uh they're really like there's a whole process of them teaching their kids so they love they love the whole pack working as a pack and everything like that, but they also love their families. So, but definitely, uh, definitely one of the best moms I've I've seen, as far as you know, being left to their own devices to raise their pups. They do a great job at it, and the pups still seem like pretty stable as far as you know pets go. Like they're not some weird feral dog. Like they're actually learning from their parents. So, but yeah, I, I, uh, I rate, I, I rate them very highly as, as moms. What's your, uh, grooming process for them? What, what does that look like? During the winter, it's pretty much just kind of, you know, if it's real wet, I try to brush them out. But if it's like, if it's freezing, the, uh, they're good. Like their coat has grown, their winter coat's grown in. Uh, doesn't take much maintenance at all. They have like a really nice guard coat. Um, then spring hits and they blow their coat. Some of them blow their coat. It just falls right out and it's 
just just fine uh other ones need some help some brushing we do like a brush out uh once they're like done blowing their coat we do like a final like good brush out get it all out um then we do like some you know they will get like sometimes little things like like yeast infections and hot spots like uh under their ears around that time when they're blowing their coat Mm -hmm. so you just like wash them out uh dry them as well as you can and then there's no real maintenance in between there until like the burrs start growing in our yard (laughs) and then it's like brushing out burrs around this time of year until their winter coat grows back in so they get bathed like really like once or twice a year Um, i know you know a lot of people do a lot of grooming on them and stuff like that we don't and you don't have to um but the the most it is is that that two weeks a year when they're blowing their coat it's like you got to deal with like some skin issues sometimes and uh you definitely have to deal with like you know a lot of hair coming out at one time the garbage bags full so they drastically they drastically drop their coat i mean they put on like a really big coat over the winter and then it all comes out in the summer and they look like a totally different dog um you know they uh i think that was one of the reasons why the the chinese were breeding them with other dogs so much was to kind of keep more of a coat on them year round because they really do change uh a lot but that's that's the only they don't really get tangled up uh they'll get tangled up if they're if if, like i don't keep a hold of the burrs and stuff like that um they're generally not like a stinky dog which is nice too like my red bone he stinks you know and like some of my my uh, stag hounds Mm -hmm. they just get like that dog smell to them and none of my tibetan masses have that They'll stink like goat shit sometimes because they're, like, sleeping in the barn, you know, mm-hmm. if, it's, if it's been rainy or whatever. But they don't have, like, that nasty dog smell to them. They're, they're really a really cleanly dog. They don't really like being dirty. Um, which also, too, like, transfers into the house and being bred as, like, you know, partial house dogs. Is These dogs, like, once they're over the age of, like, four months... They don't go to the bathroom in the house, period. Mm-hmm. Like, they just won't do it. They could be left in the house all day long, and they just won't do it. There was actually a shepherd they interviewed in a, uh, one of these Tibetan Massive interview documentaries I was watching. And they asked him, what's the best thing about the Tibetan Massive? And, like, without any hesitations, he just goes, you can lock them in the house for three days, and they won't pee or poo. <laughs> I was like... Dude, these dogs do so much for you, and the best thing you can say is they don't shit in my house. <laughs> I'm like, all right, dude. So, but yeah, and that, but I mean, the most they'll do is like during that breeding season, like if they get locked separately or they don't like what's going on outside or whatever, like they will tear it up. I mean, they will tear it up bad. So I've got like kennels built now, but. There was a, an incident we had with the window that I still hear about, and like my wife was not very happy. We have like an old house, with all original farm wood and everything. And the dog just chewed it all the hell, and just trying to get outside because there was another female with her boyfriend, and just kind of got just leaving quickly in the morning type deal, and didn't think about it, and that's what happened. So they they do really well in the house as far as like not shedding or being dirty and all that stuff. Um, 
they you know and they also they they're just really well house trained like they just come inside and lay down uh but yeah i i really do like the low maintenance grooming because i don't like to really have to mess with my dogs unless i'm like working with them you know what i mean right i don't want to have to be sitting there grooming dogs like they have to do with you know a lot of these long-haired dogs and that's a thing that a lot of people like turn they get turned away and they'll make a comment or something being like oh man i'd really like one of your dogs but man they shed so much and it's like for two weeks out of the year dude you know it's not bad two weeks out of the year is like not much at all and the rest of the time they shed less than like a lab or a pit bull or a husky and uh they're just uh, they're just a low low maintenance dog especially for a long-haired dog they don't really ask for much which is nice they're they're never like sick or you know like when it's really really hot like if there's something going on they'll do it you know they'll, they'll definitely go lay down if there's nothing going on but you know and at night they're running around running around running around all night they're the most active from they're one of the few nocturnal dogs and they're the most active from like about an hour before sunset maybe even half hour before sunset until about an hour after sunrise and then at, like most of the time during the day they're just laying around if they have the ability to come inside or they want to come inside they're inside um but yeah they're they're most active at night and uh as long as there's something going on like they don't really care what they're Mm -hmm. the weather is or they'll stand out there in the pouring rain they'll stand out there in the snow right next to a doghouse or a barn they just don't care mm -hmm. so but yeah as rustic is definitely a, a good word to describe like a good tibetan massive you know there's but i guess there's good and bad of every breed out there mm -hmm. kind of talk about the other uh, dogs that you you have and that kind of interest you I got some stag hounds. I got one stag hound uh, like a year, a year and a half ago. I got her, and uh, I really liked the way that I saw people like hunting them and everything like that. And uh, so I got her. I got her from this guy in Oklahoma. I just like found them on like tap a talk. They were like a hundred bucks, and I was like, so you know. And I had a buddy passing through town, and he picked her up and brought her here on july 4th last year mm -hmm. and uh i was you know just doing like a little bit of like rabbits and stuff like that met up with a guy that had some patterdales and uh he ended up me and him met up because i didn't have anybody to hunt with he didn't really uh he has lots of land to hunt but no one really hunting with him and stuff like that so me and him met up and he ended up giving me a patterdale and uh that really got me into terriers man i was like fucking hooked and uh so then i started like running the pattern and the stag together and my buddy called me that had the uh that i got the stag from originally because i stayed in contact with him and he's like i'm getting out of it i got a couple of dogs and so i was like dude i'm really liking this stag hound thing i'm really liking running her and everything but it's kind of hard to hunt coyotes with just one dog and so I got a couple more from him, and this will be the first season that I'm running uh, enough dog, enough stags to catch coyotes like on my own. Um, 
I've done a lot of hunting with the terrier, um, but this will be like the first, like full first season with the Patterdale as well. Um, then a buddy of mine is sending out this Yog Terrier from Minnesota. I'm actually going to pick him up on Sunday. Oh wow! And he started up a little bit, but I, I've never worked with Yogs before. And uh, I guess this is pretty good dog. I've heard good things and I've heard bad things, but. I mean, hell, I, I started out with Tibetan Mastiffs as livestock guardian dogs, man. I think I'll be able to figure it out, you know. And uh, I don't really take people's word for it on dogs. From what I've, what I've heard, what I've heard from most people ends up being like the complete opposite most of the time. And, like the general consensus, and most of it's because these people live in apartments and they don't have a dog and they don't know what the hell they're talking about. They just like to talk on the internet. So huh. we'll see what they're like. Uh, this uh, this guy's, you know, the dogs are talked pretty highly of, and he's recommended to me by a friend, and he he doesn't have the time to work the dog right now, so I'm going to take him over for a season and work him, see you know, see how it does. Um, I really like the Patterdale. I'm looking for something with like a little bit more grit, um, and I think that the in you know I think that the the Yog's a little more versatile. And that's kind of what I'm looking for is like a nose for the stags because the stags, I'll run them on something. And as soon as it hits, like I'm out in the middle of cornfields out here. And as soon as it hits the woods, it's like I can see it, but the chase is over, you know, because they can't see it like right in front of them. So uh, I'd like something that's going to keep on moving when they you know when they stop it's going to continue and then because they will like they'll chase my patterdale and they'll chase my scent hound into the woods and they can move a hell of a lot faster than them in the woods but they just don't because they they're going based on sight you know right so i really like working with the uh the, the first one that i got she's like i said she's like a year and a half now i like working with her as a draw dog I think that's a lot of fun working her with the pat, but at the same time, I'd really like to start chasing some coyotes. Like I, I really, 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 really hate coyotes, man. <laughs> like I, I got when I first moved to this farm from the city, I was going to become a chicken farmer, man, and I was going to raise these French Moran chickens, and I was all set up, and I was ready to do it, and I had like two hundred chickens, and. They were like just ready to start free ranging out here, and I had it all set up. And like within three days of free ranging, a man, coyotes came in and ate every one of them. Wow. Yeah. So it was like, all right, <laughs> I'm going to get some Tibetan mastiffs for that ass. And I, I actually had a Tibetan mastiff at the time, but she was like in the process of being trained. And I was training her like the old, you know, the way that the United you're supposed to raise, you know, them in the United States, and it just wasn't working, and I was having problems. And so she, you know, she didn't do the job. I didn't have any hunting dogs at the time. I had a hound dog, but he's like a rescue who I was like underestimating. And uh, you know, like they ate all my chickens, man. And so it was just like it was on. So like I got the Tibetan massives, and then. Now I'm like, man, these coyotes are just sitting on the other side of that fence. My Tibetan mastiffs are barking at them. I bet you I build a little gate down here in the bottom of the property. When I hear the Tibetan mastiffs start barking, I can let these stags out and I can take care of the problem. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and the Patterdales. And I, I just really like working with dogs. I mean, we have like the motto for our farm, like preserving dogs while preserving a way of life. It's like you're trying to 
not only preserve these breeds and the way they're originally being used and, and the originally living and stuff like that, but also at the same time, like preserving a way for with like, you know, human life too is like people have been hunting next to dogs since like people have been hunting, you know? And, uh, it's, there's a lot of laws that are going, you know, against people like me and, you know, people like us that are into working dogs and, whether it's racing or hunting or even livestock guardian dogs, like they're making laws now where your dog can be outside in certain states. So how the hell are you supposed to have a livestock guardian dog, you know? Yeah. Uh, and I think that if more people started getting together uh, and like making people more aware that these dogs are doing work and they are like, they're safe and they're keeping us safe and stuff like that. And, there's they're they're bred for the right purpose to be able to stay outside or they're bred to be able to run these long distances and you know still be all right and stuff like that like then when it comes time to voting like you know against you know having livestock guardian dogs live outside or having dogs racing or you know hunting with dogs more people are going to head out to the, like, the polls and vote pro dog uh versus you know, and pro hunter and pro farmer versus, you know, uneducated and being like, no, 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 we can't have this just because they have like one, one guy who has an opinion that like, you know, dogs are being mistreated when it's really, in my opinion, mistreating a dog to lock it on a couch in your house all day and train the hell out of it to not do its original purpose. So, yeah, and it's just seems to me it's just a reaction to, uh, you know, people in the urban environment that, that chain a pit bull to the side of the house, and that's all it does. And right, and that's all that people see when they think of dog outside. They don't think of a dog that, like, has yeah. has a barn, you know, and it can go in the barn, but it chooses not to uh, because it's doing what it's bred to do, stay out in the cold and watch out for the property. Yeah. I mean, people that are... You know, oh, you shouldn't kill the coyotes. I like listening to them at night. It's like, what? Like, do you, I like listening to them at night, too, I guess, a little bit here and there. Like, it's kind of fun. But at the same time, like, most of the time they're making all that noise because they're eating your neighbor's dog. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, they're not doing it just because they're trying to make you happy, mm-hmm. you know? So people, like, they're just uneducated and they don't want to even take the they think they're educated on it. They don't want to take the time to find out what's really going on. And so I think that, you know, the more people use it and the louder they are about doing it and the more open they are about doing it, then, uh, you know, like I said, the more people you're going to have at these voting booths voting like in your favor, because they're going to say, Oh yeah, that guy came over to my house and we, you know, we've had clean hunting ground ever since he brought, you know, his stags over or, you know, my neighbor got this Tibetan Mastiff and now like we don't even have coyotes anymore because like they're, you know, they're afraid to come around that territory. And, you know, and then it gets more and more people talking when they want to say, okay, dogs can't be locked outside. Well, you're going to have coyotes back at your horse farm. They're going to tell all their horse friends to go out and vote for the, you know, make sure that these livestock guardian dogs can stay outside rather than everybody that's kind of trying to like hide behind the scenes and hide the fact that they're hunting or hide the fact that they're using livestock guardian dogs. And then when the time comes to be voted against, there's no one to help you. 
Right. Well, and also it's very selective too. I mean, if you got, you know, uh, your stag hounds and you're, you're hunting them traditionally either like on leash or in the back of a truck, uh, you know, you're driving down the road and you see, you know, something else that you're not after a deer or something like that. You're not going to dump them. But if you're after coyotes, you're going to dump them. They're going to go after that coyote and they're going to get that coyote. You know, uh, you're sending in, you know, a yog for cats. It's been trained on cats. You know, there's a cat there. It's not like when you're going, because I trapped before I got into the hunting dogs, I was trapping too. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, you catch some stuff that you're not supposed to, you know, and like, you just got to get rid of it. You know what I mean? Like, but there's, there'd be a lot less of that if you were, you know, using a dog. And I've found that for sure. Yeah. You know, there's like very few times you send a Patterdale down in a hole and it comes out with like a hawk, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, you know, but there's plenty of people like every year that trap and they catch like owls and, you know, neighbor's dogs and neighbor's cats and things like that. And that's not to say that every once in a while an accident might happen with a terrier or an accident might happen with some stag hounds, but it's very, very rare, mm-hmm. you know, compared to trapping or even hunting like night hunting the amount you can get too. you go into the woods with a terrier a good team of terriers and you can come out with you know a lot of coons that were eating turkey eggs you know you go in with some stags and you come out with a lot of coyotes that were eating fawns but you know you sit out there all night calling you might shoot one or two you know some of these guys are getting big numbers when they go out like carcass over carcasses and stuff like that. But you kind of, as a, as a one man band, you're going to do a lot better with dogs as far as selectiveness. And as far as your bag amounts, I think. Then right. um, especially with like, uh, trying to clear out at like one farm quickly rats too, you know, rats, you could put poison down forever, but you go in with a good team of terriers, you can kill, you know, there's a guy actually on this rats documentary. I just watched talking about getting numbers over a thousand out of some farms in the UK. They were going with a ton of terriers. It's called rats and it's on uh, Amazon, but they go in there, man, but they, they got all different kinds of terriers and they definitely get them. But he was talking about getting numbers and I've seen, you know, pictures of guys with like, pieces of plywood just covered in rats from like a one day session with the right team of dogs but then you don't have any poison down you're not dealing with you know other animals eating the poison or other animals eating the mice that are then poisoned and killing birds and all that stuff it's just a there there's the rat it's dead okay let's move on you know it's not a weak process of setting traps and doing all this other crap. Now you're taking care of an animal, which is your dog, and you're taking care of it very well to keep it, you know, in good shape and everything like that. And then also you're taking care of the land at the same time. So people just need to get it through their heads. I don't know if they ever will. What breed of dog or breed of dogs that interest you a lot that you've you have no experience with what are some of the dogs the central asian shepherd still interests me even though i never never got one and i i'm not saying i never would but 
it just doesn't i already have that massive so it doesn't really fit into my program and i'm not looking to cross freedom uh i'm really starting to get more into these sight hounds to be honest with you mm-hmm. is like some of these more rare sight hounds like the abizan um the true like afghan hounds things like that i'm starting to get more into that because i'm trying i'm 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 starting to see now that I have like the stags, I'm starting to look at like some of the breeds that have gone into them, and then like you run into the whole problem of like the show ring taking them over, uh, like the Saluki and stuff like that. But they're still they're still able to be sourced. Um, I I'm not a big man work guy. I'm not I'm not really big into bite work or anything like that. I like a dog that can naturally just like you know doesn't like humans, so it'll just do its job uh yeah i guess the sight hounds are really it's something that i'm like looking into uh more and more lately is like different different breeds of sight hounds uh like regional types of each sight hound stuff like that uh i don't know i've worked with like a lot of dogs through like kennels and stuff like that that i've worked at and I don't. I mean, I got a lot of bases covered here already, man. I got scent hound, I got sight hound, I got terrier, <laughs> got livestock guard dogs. You know, I have a, I have like an addiction for working dogs, so I pretty much stick strictly to working dogs. Um, there's like, you know, there's other terriers that I like to try. I like to try a Wheaton terrier, um, but. Nothing really out of the realm of what I already don't have is really interests me. Mm-hmm. So pit bulls used to in- interest me a lot, but I think like I always call pit bulls like they're kind of like the gateway drug. Like a lot of guys that I'm talking to about like other work, like more I guess exotic working breeds, like mm-hmm. they all kind of got their start in pit bulls. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, right. You can see like on my page and stuff. I I, uh, I really like a lot of crosses. Right, and uh, I know it's not as is controversial for some people because you know they're really tied to their breed. Yeah, <laughs> but if you were going to cross, not not that you would or anything, but if well, I'm going to hypothetically, what would you cross one of your Tibetans with? Okay, so I plan to one day, and maybe even starting soon, to bring back this dog that's called the Shah Key. Mm-hmm. It's also it's from Tibet. It's also called the Bad Man's Dog because of like the influence of like Western civilization and people that ate meat and hunted and things like that into like the Buddhist culture mm-hmm. when the Silk Road came around. And what it is is it's Tibetan mastiffs bred with sight hounds. Okay. And it's like a it is described in like it's very, very, very few places I've been able to find it. Uh, described it's in a few of my books on Tibetan Mastiffs and I've been able to find a couple things on the internet but uh, it's gone it was never really like official enough to be like an official official breed there's like kind of like how the Doki is anyways it's like very different compared to regions and like what kind of sighthounds they used and things like that Um, but it was kind of like a mountain hunting bay dog because it couldn't actually catch these animals because what the animals up there would do, like the big uh, blue sheep, and they have like this giant deer up there also. So they would go to like the edge of a cliff 
to where they could like get these animals to come up to them and they would fling they would get the dogs to come up to them or wolves and they would fling them off the cliff Uh so they bred these more as like a bay dog that would get the animal on the edge of a cliff and then the hunter would come in and take them out i want to cross a little bit more to be more of a catch dog so keep it more on like the sight hound end i would think is what i would have to do um to make like a predator hunting dog Uh like i know wolf hunting isn't legal with dogs yet but they're getting their their populations are going up and it's only a matter of time before they're going to allow people to do it um so it'd be a dog to be able to to hunt the, the largest of predators um you know mountain lions wolves things like that um and also still at the same time be a guard dog um not necessarily a livestock guardian dog but a dog that would be able to guard a property or camp uh they do good along like horseback things like that long legs like a staghound good sight like a staghound still keep the nose of a tibetan mastiff Mm -hmm. um but yeah that's definitely something that i that i want to do um and that i think i will do because i have some very athletic tibetan mastiffs and i have pretty good group of uh sight hounds and access to a few more so maybe add in something else uh for nose but probably try to stick with tibetan massive and stag hounds uh but yeah that's definitely something i want to kind of play around with and see how it works they're two very very different breeds so I don't, you know, first crosses and stuff like that might, there might be a lot in there. It's going to be kind of testy and, mm-hmm. and different, but it's, you know, something to take on. I got space for it. I got the ability to prove them, you know, test them out, things like that. Uh, I, I mean, I'm all for crosses that have like a purpose and a vision in the end. I'm not for, oh man, I really like the, you know, blah, 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 and I'm going to breed it to the blah, blah, blah just because I want to look cool on the internet, you know? Right. Like, uh, functional crosses I'm all about, especially for hunting. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, look at any hunting dog. Like, most of them are crosses anyways, you know, just not even that long ago. Like the Argentine Dogo. Yeah. It's not even that old of a dog, and it's made up of, like, a dozen dogs. I know, that's you know? crazy. So... You know, and a lot of other dogs are pretty much just two breeds, you know, yeah. or even just a phenotype of a, of a breed bred and bred and bred and bred, and bred, you know, different the same way for long enough to make it its own breed. So yeah. Yeah. I'm all for I'm all for crossing with with a, you know, a vision of a, a function, mm-hmm. but just to cross just because that's what you got in your yard. Cool, man. I really appreciate it. It was good talking to you. Good talking to you. It was uh, was fun to hear about. All right, man. Take it easy. All right, man. Bye.